Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Daf HaShavua as we study Meseches Yivamas Daf Lamed Vav. I want to thank those that joined us for the phenomenal Shia by Rabbi Willig. I spoke to Rabbi Willig the next night. He appreciated everyone's participation. And I know many more received the recording of the Shia. Let me know if you would still like a copy. For the first part of the Shia today, we'll do something a little bit different. And we have done uh, similar have taken similar approaches in the past with a little bit of hashkafa on a technical issue. Rabbi Lazar makes a statement. We've been dealing with this machlokas between Reish Lakish and Rabbi Elchanan. Different uh, variations of cases where someone does yibum. They wouldn't have done the yibum if, or the chalitza particularly, if they would have been aware of the fact that the woman was pregnant. This all ties back to what we discussed last week in the shir, as far as hafchana and the waiting, and there's a lot to say about the topic. Rish Lakish comes up with his position, that again there would be a need for another chalitza, look into the Gemara for the details, and Amar Rebbe Lazar, Rebbe makes a statement, Efshar Isa lahadur Rish is it possible that we have this position of Reish Lakish that seems to be, and it is, Halacha Lamasa, the position that's accepted La Halacha, but we don't have any Mishnah supporting it. Now, the assumption of the question is that Reish Lakish does have Tanayik support. You can't have a Machlokas of an Amora against a Tana. And even if you don't want to take that position, the assumption would be that Reish Lakish is not making up the halacha, so the Gemara is trying to find support in a Mishnah. Again, there are two different ways technically to read this Gemara, but this is what I want to focus on. Rebbe Laza is so convinced by Reish Lakish's position. Nafak dak ve'eshkach, and he go, what does he do? He went out, he investigated, and he found a Mishnah that exactly lines up with Reish Lakish, the Tanan, Ha'isha Shahalach Balav, it's Hayam, etc. Works out beautifully. Now this Mishnah ends up being later on in Masech HaSivamas. But what's this expression that he couldn't find, so he went out? On the surface, this sounds very non-Halachic, non-Orthodox, you can't find something to support you, so you go out and you shop for it. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because obviously I'm aware of some discussion on this expression. Now, I'll begin with a very technical approach, which is actually found by the Ali Tamar. I've pointed out in the past the Ali Tamar, we won't go over his biography, a relatively contemporary parish on the Yerushalmi, very beautiful parish on the Yerushalmi. And the Ali Tamar reminds us that at this time of the Amarayim, it's not like we have today very clear Mishnayis and we have clear Brysos and you could go look them up. What's happening at this point is it's still not clear exactly what's inside what we would say the established Mishnayis, or in this context, Brysos, and what's not yet in, or what, what they weren't aware of. They didn't have the same access you know, through a computer to what we have. 
So what he's able to do is he's able to find a Brisa Mishnah that supports his position. If he didn't find it, then he'd be in trouble. But his assumption is that Reish Lakish was operating within the context of the Masorah. He had support, Tanayik support, Reish Lakish is an Amora. So there's great deference here to Reish Lakish and to that position, which he knew already at this time, according to the Gemara, was the accepted halacha. Now, there are other manifestations of this even today. You see, the Ali Tamar says, today you can't go make up a brisa. And even if you find something, one source that maybe wasn't part of the original brisas, the original Mishnayas, and you find the source, you can't then say that has the same authority as a brisa that was found at the time of, and accepted at the time of the Amorayim, and obviously at the time of Tanayim. But we do have this concept at times of going out and finding, especially if it's what is accepted as the halacha. And I think that's what Rish Lakish is, that's what Rebbe Laza here is pointing out. People were already following the view of Rish Lakish, so we need to, to support it. Now you will find, before I come to hashkafic ideas, sticking it with the halacha, you do have a variation of this. You even find this terminology used sometimes in contemporary chuvos. A different formulation of it is pukhazi, go and look. What people are doing, sometimes if we see that for generations, people are acting in a certain way, even if we can't find the, same, the, the exact source for it, we're going to justify it. The great Trumas Hadeshan, the very first Truva that we have the Trumas Hadeshan, is a situation where in certain countries in Europe, they were davening Mariv before it was dark outside. And without going through the whole complicated analysis of it, they weren't able to find a Mishnah or a Brisa. In that situation, <clears throat> they went out and found what people were doing. You even see Ramosha uses formulation. I have an example with this exact same language from our Gemara in the tshuva of Ravavadya, not coincidentally dealing with a Yavama issue where the terminology is used as nafak dak ve'eshkach. Now, it's obviously going to be a lot easier if we have a written source for it to rely on what people are doing, a pukhazi, go out and see, could obviously be very dangerous. And it's only going to be gedolim like Ramosha, Ravavadya, earlier in the Trimas Hadeshen, who could justify halacha based on go out and find not just a source, but what people are doing. Very often what people are doing is incorrect. We're not going to shalom turn that into the halacha. So I wanted to share with you how this expression is an important expression. Nafak dak ve'eshkach. It's a source. You're going to find this not only in the Gemara, a number of places in Meseches Yivamas. We'll find it in the Rishonim and even down to contemporary poskim. Very often it means, and you see this a number of times in Ravavadya, he's trying to find a Rishon who says it. It'll be the Rashba who says it. I saw him quote the Rabbeinu Bachia even, that we're looking, if we see people behaving a certain way, we want to be able to anchor it in a source. Sometimes if we don't find the source, the halacha is still going to stand as is. But what I want to share with you is a fascinating analysis of this expression, which is not a technical analysis, but a hashkafic analysis 
using an insight from Rukiva Eger. For the Hashkafic message of this expression of go out and learn, go out and investigate, Nafak Dakva Eshkach, I want to go to Gemara Mesechas Brachas. You'll see why. The Gemara Mesechas Brachas and Dafyud Test Summit Aleph is discussing a statement of Rabbi Shua ben Levi. There are 24 different violations or possibilities of why a person would put into, be put into excommunication for denigrating his Rav. And they're all learned in our Mishnah. So Rabbi Lazar comes and he says, I don't see them in the Mishnah. They're not in our Mishnah here. So So he's told by Rabbi Shur ben Levi, Lechi Tishkach, go find it. So the Gemara says, Nafak Dak Ve'eshkach. Tzlas. He's able to find three. Now let's keep in mind, this is the same Rabbi Lazar relating to Rabbi, to Rish Lakish. So some of the commentaries right there in the Gemara say, similar to the technical explanation I gave, he had to go find some private manuscripts. The Mishnah wasn't as public, and he was able to find at least a few spelled out. But if you look at Reb Kiva Eger, and this Reb Kiva Eger is found in a number of places. I'm going to give you the one from Gidon, Daf Chav Zayin Amun Aleph. It's very concise. Reb Kiva Eger gives technical insights into the daf, but there's much more than just technical. Reb Kiva Eger was, of course, the great father-in-law of the Chassam Sofer, but a Gada Ador in his own right, both in halachic and uh, communal issues in the 18th and 19th, early 19th century. So Reb Kiva Eger says, listen to this, what does this expression mean? He sends us on a uh, mission. We have to go out and look. Perik based avos Mishnah test. I was very curious about this, so I did my own investigation. And this is what we find in the Tosvos Yamtov. The Tosvos Yamtov, very underrated today, because the Tosvos Yamtov was one of the classic, is one of the classic commentaries on Mishnah. He's not so famous today because we have all these different versions of Mishnayis, Gahati, Arch Girl, etc. But it's good to sometimes go back to the original. So Rabbi Yomtov Lipman Halevi, who was uh, one of the great Rabbanim in the 16th, early 17th century. So he tells us that this expression is more than just a, an expression of finding a technical manuscript. It goes to the Mishnah in the second parak of Perkiavos. Now, let me give a little background. In the previous Mishnah, which is Mishnah Ches, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai lists his five great Talmidim. I heard last week from Rabbi Schoenfeld, from Rabbi Schechter, who was giving a hesped for my Rabbi, Rabbi Schoenfeld, that Rabbi Schoenfeld taught him something. He thinks it was in the name of the Rav, but either way, it's a great idea. That just like Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says that I had five Talmidim, he obviously had hundreds of Talmidim, he was the Gadol Adar. The question isn't whether someone considers the Rebbe his Rebbe, but does the Rebbe consider a Talmud to be his Talmud? So he considered all of his Talmidim to be his Talmidim, but these were the greatest ones. And then he challenges them in the next mission, in Perak Bey's mission test, Amar Lahem Tsu Uru'u. Go out and investigate. Ezo Hiderach Yeshara, 
What is the right way that a person should cling to the Rebona Shalom? And as explained by the Tosfos Yomtov, this doesn't mean go out and find it in a book. Go out and go deeper within yourself. Go outside your normal realm of thinking. You could become greater than you actually think you can if you do self-reflection. Now, this self-reflection sometimes may require you to go out and speak to Rebbeim or go out to study more, but it really means to go beyond yourself. This is what the Tosvos Yom Tov spells out very beautifully. He quotes a Pasuk from Kohelas, Perik Aleph, Pasuk Tezayin, this is Shlomo HaMelech, the great man of Chab, Chachma, Dibart Yani Imlibi, Lamar. I speak to myself with my heart. That it's only through hard work and a tremendous amount of self-reflection and reflecting on Torah sources, this is the way the Alshech explains it in Kohelas Aleph Tezayin, that we could become even greater versions of who we are. We all have that ability to accomplish much more. Now, this is focusing mostly on the intellect. We could apply this in other areas. If you flip this back to our Gemara, and that's why I'm spending so much time on it, the Gemara just gives us an opportunity in this situation to think about ourselves and our community and our children, that Reish Lakish had to come up with a position. And it's not just a question of going to find it in a library, but use your own brain. Rish Lakish was a brilliant man. And Rish Lakish, Rebbe Lazar, was basically saying that I'm going to, because it's Rebbe Lazar who's taking the teaching of Rish Lakish, and he's saying, I'm going to go out. And just like Rish Lakish was able to come up with his Torah, I'm going to be able to come up with my own Torah. It's not made up. It has to obviously be anchored. So you could see an expression in the Gemara that becomes not just a technical expression, but Rebekah Eger is reminding us that this is supposed to be motivation and in many ways an obligation for all of us to think deeper when we learn and when we evaluate. For the last part of this year, I want to spend a little time on the halachos of inheritance and just explain uh, very briefly how we get into this. We have a general principle that when there's machlok between Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, the halacha follows Rabbi Yochanan. That's established. We have sometimes uh, different principles of how a machlokas will follow. Sometimes it's based on majority, same to, sometimes it's based on the people that are arguing. We're not going to discuss now how it comes to that conclusion. You could have a machlokas between um, Rav and Shmuel. There's a general approach in how it goes. But the Gemara says here, The halacha goes with Reish Lakish in these three areas. One, which is uh, the issue that we discussed up until now, and then the Gemara makes the following statement, and it'll just give me a brief opportunity to talk about the laws of inheritance. Now, just a little bit of a background. We recently completed Sefer Bereshis. Sefer Bereshis has the halachas of Tzavah, Tzava is the moral teachings that a parent is supposed to give over to his children, his or her children. You look into the Ralbag and you see the practice of many. It's not just theoretical, and it's probably much more important than giving them money. 
That's what Yaakov Avinu is doing with his children. That's why the Haftorah, Pashas Vayichi, is Shlomo doing the same to David HaMelech. But there's also the bottom line. There's the estate. And we have a principle that's, of course, based on Torah law, the laws of Yerusha, that a person's estate is distributed according to Torah law, to the sons, the Bechar gets Pishnayim. And you don't have the ability, at least on the surface level, to opt out, you know, to, to contract out of a Torah law. On a contemporary scene, this could raise many issues because why should one son get more than the other? It could create resentment. You know, the same Rambam in Hilchas Nachlos tells us that we shouldn't favor one child over the other. The Rambam actually uses Yaakov Avino, I would never say this myself, over Yosef. Now again, the MS is the MS. If the Torah tells us we have to do so, then we have to do so. But you could appreciate why it would raise many questions. If we have no solution, then we're stuck. You have daughters who want to inherit, and they're going to get all upset. Not only at the Torah, they're going to get upset at their, their siblings. You'll have family machlokas. So again, if there's no way around it, then there's no way around it. And we have to accept that these are Torah principles. We surrender our emotions, our will, even family dynamics to the will of Hashem. And everybody should accept this is the way it is. A Kohen's a Kohen, a Bechar is a Bechar, and that's how it is. But you already get a window, and I'm only going to discuss the window today, into a way around this, if I say that respectfully, because I know practically it's done. And practically we encourage, I'll call it now a roundabout, but it's 100% halakhically valid, is that there should be an equal distribution, equal percentages amongst all children. How does that end up happening? So you get a window into it now. I read over the Gemara, then we'll look at a Rambam, and I have a lot more to say on this topic. And we have special contracts. I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I showed someone the contract, Shtar Chatzi Zachar, which is a way to actually contract not out, but to make sure that the inheritance is equally distributed. Best advice is to give it all away while the parents are alive. Why not let the children and the grandchildren benefit, especially for yeshiva education, etc.? But now is not the time for my editorial comments. So the Gemara says, If one distributes the property through a specific uh, command, you give a higher percentage to one and a lower percentage to the next, or he says the Bechar is going to get the same as the others, then Dvar of Kayamin. I mean, this sounds like a radical statement that the Gemara is making. That's why I'm spending so much time on it. But what becomes clear is that you're giving it as a gift. So while alive is absolutely no problem. But the Gemara says, If you say it's because of Yerusha, then then it doesn't work, even if it's being given while alive. So what you basically have here, and again, this is the framework that I'm offering you today. You could look it up in the Rambam, Perik Vav of Hilchos Nachlos, Halacha Hey, is the following distinction. If we have a way of coming up with a document 
or maybe possibly even without a document, because there may be certain situations, especially if the person towards the end of his life is a shchiv meira, where you won't require all the same types of kinyanim, although you will require edim. If we could reframe this not as an inheritance, but as a gift, especially if it's a gift during life, then there's no problem. What you end up over here is the machlokas with Rebbe and Rebbe Yerush and Reish Lakish, if you have what you would say is a conflict within the document. It says a gift and it has the term Yerusha. So that's the machlokas. But this is what we try to create today to have what I'm going to call equality. Equality in this situation would even be from the Torah perspective. The equity would be allowed, an equal distribution. You would have to formulate it as a matana. This could be done obviously while alive, but there's even a way to do it that it doesn't take effect until after the person passes. So from a secular term, we'll call it inheritance, but halachically it's not considered to be inheritance, even though it's after the death, it's a gift. A lot more to be discussed, but the halacha does follow this view. Have a great week of learning.